Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2007's Balls of Fury. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. Welcome back. I know we took a little break. Well, I took a little break and you just kind of rode that. (laughs) I sure did. Welcome back, Kyle. Did you enjoy your break? Yes. It was boring but relaxing. Sometimes that's what you need. What can we say about Balls of Fury? Hmm... Well, let's get this out of the way first. It's very funny. Yes. It's chock full of people we love to see. Also, George Lopez. (laughs) (laughs) George Lopez is fine. Yeah, like, of the, I guess, what they call them, Latin kings of comedy, he was probably one of my favorites. IMDb marks this movie as a parody, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Parody of these balls. Herod, these balls. <laughs> well, okay. I will say, I did my thread stream last night, and one thing I did note is that this is a send-up of a couple of different tropes, yes. but also the entire concept of the movie Bloodsport. Okay. Is that Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yeah, it is. Okay. The muscles from Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically everything he did was unintentional comedy. That makes sense. So I, I, I feel comfortable calling this a parody. Like, there's a part of me that wants to fight against that. It's also like you spend about 50% of the movie going, hang on, is this racist? And <laughs> stay with it. Stay with it. Because yes, but, yes, but, <laughs> it's making fun of white Orientalists. So you got to hang in there. But yes. Kind of like when Robert Downey Jr. did Blackface in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Like... It is perfectly valid to point out that that's fucked up from the meta and from the filmmaking perspective and from like the uh, in situ. Yeah, diegetic. Thank you. From the diegetic perspective. But but it's there to make a point. It's not just like, lol, look at what I can do. Well, it is diegetically, but. A point I had heard with that. I know we're off topic for the moment, but 
we'll come back in just a sec, is that like it's making fun of people who do blackface for prestigious stuff. And it's like, okay, when's the last time that happened? I know there's been plenty of instances of people doing blackface, but it's comedies. 30 Rock and Scrubs had to pull a number of episodes from streaming services in 2021. Yep. I believe it was four for Scrubs and two for 30 Rock. I think so, yeah. Oh, God, that was such a foul episode, too. That wasn't even a good episode of 30 Rock. Well, one of them was one of their live episodes, which is too bad. I don't think it was a live one. No, there was a live one because it's John Hamm. They're making fun of like 1920s TV show or like something early. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really early TV. And so it's Tracy Morgan and John Hamm. And John Hamm is like a terrible character. And Tracy Mm. Morgan's like an actual person. Yeah. And they just sit there very tense. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that now. Oh my God, that was horrible. It was horrible, but it was also a little funny because it's like, white man, don't try shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to this fucking movie. So, the stitch isn't coming. Hang in there. (laughs) We have to start with the 1988 Olympics. Yep, and apparently the premier event of the 1988 Olympics was ping pong. In part because one of the players, but for this movie, the player representing the U.S. is 12-year-old Randy Daytona. First off, sick fucking name. Name drop. Amazing. I would love to believe that he and Jackie Daytona of What We Do in the Shadows are related cosmically. Look, I'm all for building a, a greater cinematic universe that doesn't suck. Something kind of weird is that the sports commentator compares him to Jesse Owens and Cassius Clay. Don't do that. Listen, if white people were better at sports, there would be other examples to compare them to. And Michael Phelps had been invented yet. Yeah, that's true. Well, Michael Phelps is is like genetically mutated. He has several adaptations that make him better at swimming. Anyway, yeah. So this 12-year-old kid is competing in the Olympics and like, the Olympics has rules. I mean, Chinese gymnasts violate them all the time. But, you know, the rules do exist. And they exist specifically to prevent this from happening. Anyway, his matchup is Karl Wolfstock of the German Democratic Republic, a thing that existed at the time. This is played by friend of the pod, Thomas Lennon. Guy we love to see. Let Thomas Lennon play more German perverts. God, he's so good at that. He re- <laughs> that was so fucking classic. Anyway, in very, it wasn't typical, but it was like typical of how an American might view an East German that he's like aggro out of the gate and like, just like, I will destroy him kind of thing. And she's like, okay, all right, take it down a notch, Hitler. So this big climactic table tennis game begins and before it begins oh yeah right yeah we meet randy's dad i don't remember his name it doesn't really matter pete thank you this is marine sergeant pete daytona played by robert patrick who is a cool guy to see and shit yeah don't get attached yeah he's the t-1000 like oh my god that's right (laughs) he was also in hbo's peacemaker Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As a white supremacist and Peacemaker's dad. 
It's very weird. Keep in mind that like he was looking a bit old and raggedy almost 20 years ago when this movie was made. <laughs> yeah, he bet money on the game, apparently, through some Chinese bookies. The triads. Yes. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, the triads are basically a Chinese mafia. They are to Hong Kong what the Yakuza are to Japan. So yes, Carl Wolfschlag is very skilled, but so is Randy. Yeah, yeah. And one of them is very much a better sport about all of this. Anyway, Randy's got a promotion deal, apparently, with Disneyland, so that after he wins, which was presumed, he was going to say to camera, I'm going to Disneyland. Hmm, that... He didn't win. (laughs) Yeah, Carl hit a long shot, and as Randy goes to chase it, he trips over a barrier and has to forfeit. Yep, and so everybody's like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, he like comes out of his daze and is just like, I'm going to Disneyland. And so that's basically what he's remembered for. It's such a fucking dick move that people keep bringing this up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that said, we are dicks to child celebrities just as a culture. Because he lost, his dad is taken by the triad. And on behalf of a Mr. Fang, I'm never going to say it right. It's F-E-N-G. which is Pronouncing it correctly would render Fung. So nobody got that right. Yeah. But Robert Patrick's killed. That's a hard rap. <laughs> we do not have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> yep, yep. He gets hacked to death with a kukri, which this doesn't matter, but it starts to lay the groundwork for some stuff. A kukri is a Nepali weapon. It's not Chinese. The theme of this movie is, yeah, but that's not Chinese. Remind me, is no, 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 no. Nepal's not the one that like has a land dispute with China, that's Taiwan, right? Well, I mean, who doesn't have a land dispute with China? But I don't believe Nepal does. Actually, Mount Everest is split between Nepal and China. That's got it. Okay. Yeah. That's why the yeah. Chinese side is actually the easier climb, but most expeditions leave from Nepal. Because you can get into Nepal? <laughs> well, I mean, you can get into China as long as you know you obey a lot of rules and haven't done anything questionable in your life. Anywho, or you're the 44th president of America? Yeah, there's that. Not a day goes by we won't drag his fucking ass through the mud. Nope. And it's 19 years later? Is that what? 19 years later, and we skip to Las Vegas, Nevada. Where we see a guy with a bird doing a weird routine. Hey, Kyle, who's the guy? Friend of the pod, as of this episode, David Ketchner. Hell yes. Anyway, so what we've got here is a matinee lunch show in Vegas. So, like, this is the B squad at best. Like, these are not evening shows. So, we get David Ketchner in a leather Elvis outfit singing Two Tickets to Paradise with the assistance of a cockatoo that just says, I got, and that's it. Yep. But he's also able to introduce the next act by saying, Randy Daytona, Randy Daytona. Ah, that's true. That's true. Yep. The bird does do that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he's doing ping pong as like an exhibition thing at this. Which is kind of cool. Like he's good at it. It is a much better show than the bird. The bird was not impressive. This is actually impressive. 
What's very funny is he's in like a sparkly suit, but he's still in shorts. Short shorts, yes. Short shorts is a, a running theme in this movie too. It sucks, but you just have to power through it. <laughs> Basically, no one cares though. And a guy stands up to get more food and Randy's wants to do something different. So he says, oh, volunteer from the crowd. The guy's like, no, I just wanted more cheesy macaroni. And like he bounces some ping pong balls off him just to demonstrate that he's very skilled. And it's not just he doesn't need a table to do this. And the guy has a heart attack and dies. Whoops. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Unsurprisingly, Randy is fired. Yeah. Yeah. But perhaps a little more surprisingly, Randy is also approached by an FBI agent. One last thing. The person who tells him the FBI agent there is like his assistant or just like an assistant with the show kind of. The showgirl. Yes. And barely has any lines, but this is, as of this episode, friend of the pod, Carrie Kenny. So I I just wanted to point that out because we do love Carrie Kenny. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I almost skipped past that. And I, I knew that she had made friend of the pod. It's such a small role. She says her name is Sarah, but in IMDb, she is showgirl. Like, it does not matter. (laughs) A character that we'll come to whose name is never mentioned is named correctly in IMDb, but poor Carrie Kenny is not. Oh, my God. So who's our FBI agent, Sophia? George Lopez, who is just, I mean, he's in the movies I've seen him in. He's fine. He's good. He's a comedian, but like, you know, it's fun. Yeah. He does good in this. So he's playing FBI agent Rodriguez. First name Ernie, which I think comes up only at the very end and maybe only in subtitles. I think so. Yeah. Randy thinks this is a gag. So he's like messing with him and he's like, don't do that. You can't touch me. And like he pulls out his gun. He's like, oh, you got a fake gun. And boom. And just like some other FBI agents like push him against the wall. And just like, okay, now that we're done playing games, let's go. So what is... Our mission. So we're infiltrating Fung's network of ne'er-do-wells, I guess, by being invited to a ping-pong tournament that Fung has. The best of the best of the best are absconded away to this compound where they compete in a high-stakes ping-pong tournament. Bloodsport. If you've ever seen Bloodsport, it's Bloodsport. We're doing Bloodsport. They don't quite know what he's done exactly don't say so yeah they didn't say specifically what he's done but like he's a high-ranking member of the triads nobody's ever photographed his face he's an international criminal we assume probably drugs that's what fucks me up is they make a point that no one's seen his face Mm -hmm. if you see the poster you immediately know who it is (laughs) yeah he's so prominent on the poster yeah honestly that was not good not good but Sometimes the people making the movie and marketing don't communicate. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with like job applications, like the people who need a position filled are not the ones who write the job description. Kind of same thing there. The disconnect leads to some fucky wuckiness. I know. Honestly, I've seen a bunch of articles on Cracked or like different sites like that are on the Internet. It's like, oh, times that the marketing gave away plot twists or something. Oh, yeah. So like, oh, fucking Iron Man 3's Lego set has a thing that gives away a twist. <sighs> so because we saw the cover of this movie, or the, the poster for this movie, we know that this is Christopher Walken. But the FBI doesn't know that. They think it's George Takai. Yes. Which, when he gets revealed, I was like, 
Okay, I can kind of see how someone could get there. I don't. That's not what George Takai looks like. Not, I mean, they're both old at this point. Yeah, but like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, since we mentioned actors, Randy, adult Randy, is played by this guy, Dan Fogler. Mm-hmm. Who's just like in shit. Yeah, typically as either a nerd or gross or kind of pervy. This is perhaps his most wholesome role ever. Anyway, he's hosting a ping pong tournament. Randy needs to do really well and show off his skills to get invited. Mm-hmm. But Randy doesn't compete anymore. He's kind of lost his confidence. I don't really get it. No, I get it. So because of his last loss, his dad died. So Yeah, you know, fair enough. That'll take it out of you. <laughs> Speaking of which, he goes to his dad's grave. Some goofy shit happens that... <laughs> I'm not... Remember when selling the air rights to a cemetery was just like an insane thing to say and not like a grim portent of things to come? Yeah. And for some reason, him getting misfortuned at his dad's grave is like, yeah, I'll take the mission. It suggests to me that like the thing that he's going to ask for for compensation is to exhume his dad and like rebury him somewhere that's not beneath a water slide. Yep. And that will not come up. Will not come up. The FBI says, we will do everything in the government's power to get you whatever you want if you help us do this. And, like, that just doesn't go anywhere. Nope. Which is fine. So, they need to go to a tournament. The first tournament they go to is a church-sponsored ping-pong tournament. I'm going a little fast because, God, there's just so much fucking ping-pong in this movie. He is immediately pitted against the, I think they say, four-time champion. Who is it, Kyle? Who's the hammer? The Hammer, great name, is, as of this episode, friend of the pod, Pat Oswalt. Oh, yes! We love it. So this is one of the many trope inversions or, like, expectation inversions that they do, where you think you're about to see an epic ping-pong match, and right as Randy goes to serve, the next shot is the Hammer coming out of the church with a trophy. It's very funny because, like, it's Patton Oswalt and he's, like, playing up his goofy kind of soft boy nature. So, like, you see it and Rodriguez has it right. He turns around and he's just like, no mercy. He's like, all right, yeah, I got this. I'm going to cream this clown. And then Patton Oswalt runs out, can you dig it? (laughs) Yes. Amazing. So Randy's extremely out of shape, but also out of practice. And needs to get his shit together. So we're going to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. This was Reno to LA. So they're in LA now. Okay. And they find a guy named Wong. Wong is played by James Hong. James Hong is perhaps the hardest working Asian in Hollywood. If not the hardest working man in Hollywood. I mean, yeah, like this dude is in everything. In a bit during like a training sequence, which is like, taken from three different movies. There's a thing about a lucky cricket, which reminded me of Mulan. And I was like, wait, wasn't James Hong in Mulan? He was. <laughs> of course he was. If there's an old Asian man in a TV show or movie. It's probably James Hong. <laughs> yeah. Importantly, kind of, Wong is blind. This is the subject of like a quarter of the jokes of the movie. Yeah. And also just kind of like generally insensate. He does a lot of shit that, like, you would not do if you had all of your senses. So, like, 
the gag really is that not only is he blind, but his other senses have not corrected to compensate. Except his smell, apparently. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is that one gag, but like also smell is like 70% of taste and he just like jams chopsticks up a guy's nose and grabs a ball sack with them and then goes back to eating. Yeah, they use the term guaylo a lot in this movie. Guaylo is round eye. It's a white person. They say round eye in the movie. The first time I encountered it was in a book, and they said it means white devil. (laughs) I don't know about that. Hang on, because it's Cantonese, and so that makes it a little bit more challenging. IMDb, one of the, like, goofs is, like, they say it means this, but it more accurately means this, which they said, like, white ghost or devil, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a wild thing to call someone. Yeah. But you know what? We're doing an Orientalism in this movie, so they can shoot it back at the white people. Yeah, and honestly, because there's a lot of historical reasons why it would be. So, like, I get why Chinese people specifically in America are a little bit insular, or, like, why they would be insular in your creating this context. That's fine. I get that. Anyway... Wong agrees to train Randy, more so because the FBI says they're taking Fong down, and Fong was a former student of Wong's, so it's like, he's a bad dude. I'll help you take him out. First day of practice, we see Wong's niece, Maggie. She is holding her own against four different people. (sighs) Not only that, she's like answering a phone call. She's like doing a lot of shit while still holding off four people. So... She's also doing it while being just, like, exceptionally hot just at me specifically. So this is Maggie Q, who is around, but isn't, like, super notable. Yeah. Anyway, one of the people she's facing off against gets very upset seeing Randy at the place. And somehow it leads to a fight scene that Maggie wipes the floor with everyone. Yeah. We don't need to get too into it, except... A bunch of the students are like, hey, training white people is not allowed. We're going to tell on you. Uh, Yeah. And so they do. Again, forbidden. So, you know, we're going to have to do a little bit of a time skip here. It's time for a training montage, which is silly. Like he's hitting ping pong balls with ladles and swatting at not flies, but bees. That was a good gag. (laughs) That, That was a fun gag. Like, come on, you got me swatting at flies now? I'm like, oh, no, no, you're not swatting at flies. You swat at bees. Throws a box full of bees and closes him into the fucking freezer. There's a couple tropes here. One is that Randy's horny for the one girl he sees. And I mean, it's a family to number. Be fair, it's to Maggie be fair. Q. I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, hot women get cast in these movies to do that. So it's not unreal. It's still the same trope. A little exploitative, but... Not unreasonable. During this training montage, there's a couple Mr. Miyagi-type tropes. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like blind sensei is kind of a trope. It is. Also, in Chinese, you would use the term shifu. (laughs) Which I think you do actually... No, no. I was watching a different movie after I watched Balls of Fury that that did that correctly. Anyway, yeah. so, So sensei in Chinese would be shifu, but unimportant. So, yeah, the blind Sifu thing is a trope. Mention the thing about the lucky cricket. This is a great inversion because he has the cricket in his hand 
and you think it's going to be like, take the cricket from my hand and he's going to make it real hard. But Randy snatches it and goes, what'd you do that for? <laughs> and he just like says a whole bunch of Chinese stuff. And he's like, oh, you killed the cricket? Oh, and he goes off in Chinese. like, oh, thanks a lot, kid. <laughs> Very good. Also around this time, there are truly so many jokes about balls. This movie is ball joke supreme. Yeah. There was a moment, Kyle, you were telling me about where oh my God. it came real close. Like, I got there too. There's a point where Maggie actually like makes a joke about that. What she says is pay attention to your balls. But she says it so fast that like you almost read it as pay attention to my balls, not yes. my boobs. It's also in Chinese, so you have to read it. Oh, yeah, it is. That's true. So you might miss that. And I was just like, the only thing that can make Maggie Q hotter is being trans. Pay attention to her balls, not her boobs. <laughs> listen, listen. Anyway. Yeah, is that your new life philosophy? No, no, it's not. <laughs> is it because boobs are pretty great? Boobs are pretty great. Also, I think there are enough people who are utterly fixated on whatever the hell is happening in my pants, which I will thank them to stay the fuck out of. Sure. But yeah, no, definitely like if you're going to pay attention to something. Anyway, so after this training is done, we get some stuff about why Rodriguez took this case specifically. Basically, he thought being in the FBI was going to be James Bond type shit, but he's been a desk jockey. Yeah, you get the feeling he's not a super respected FBI agent. He's the clown of the group. Yeah, it's not quite clear why. It's just like, this is what it is. And it's like, okay. It's kind of implied that he's a little bit Mexican for the FBI. Okay. It's not clearly stated, but like, because he code switches very explicitly. Yes. They go back to the noodle shop and studio that's ping pong school. It's been trashed and a message has been left. Basically saying, like, this is what happens for teaching a white person. Yeah, so this is actually an interesting, like, trope where, I don't know, it, did you ever see Three Ninjas? No. This was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid with no taste. It's very much a, it's not quite a white savior movie, but it's in that vein. So it's these three kids who are technically, they're half Japanese, but they are white kids. And their uncle is like a ninja and teaches them ninjas oh like the ninjas from velocipaster basically yeah except they're like kid kids i feel like this trope comes up like i feel like i've seen it in the cobra kai tv show of just like trashing the dojo well so trashing the dojo but also like the white guy or the non-asian guys who are like trying to do right or like don't worry we'll figure out who's behind this and they're like we know who's behind this his name is right there you can't read chinese you wouldn't know that so they go to this back alley ping pong place. I don't Opium den. It's a coated opium den. Yeah. Here is a great trope inversion. It's like, here, fortunes are won and lost on ping pong. I'm exaggerating, of course, but people do bet money on this. <laughs> but you get the idea. People bet on ping pong. <laughs> yeah. I love that sort of inversion of calling out I am exaggerating. Yeah. So like... This is a thing, and also the way that Wong exaggerates is a little bit telling on himself. It's very funny. Anyway, so then we get a trope where this huge muscle-tattooed guy, you think that's the dragon, that's who Randy's going to have to play against. Then he opens a door, and the dragon's a little girl. Yeah, nine-year-old little girl. 
usually it's a girl, sometimes a child. It's either a girl, a child, or someone really old. Because mm-hmm. that's how these tropes work. And this one did child and girl. So I've taken enough martial arts classes to know that that's a dangerous person. Vicious. However, this trope is then inverted because she's like, here's my serve that no one can return or defend against or whatever. And Randy easily defends against it and she can't even return his return. Yeah. So we get that the dragon is not so much like an excellent ping pong player so much as a girl who cries when she loses and that makes everybody feel real weird and gross. I forgot to bring this up. The person who's like her, almost her right hand, who at Wong Shop was like, we're telling, and now like translates for her because the dragon only speaks Chinese, is Jason Scott Lee. Yeah. Who related to Bruce Lee? Is he? No. I was looking at something. He was in a movie with Bruce Lee. Um... I didn't know if it was like, oh, Bruce Lee is big enough that he just hired his son. But I, I don't think that's what happened. No, Lee is an extremely common surname. But in whatever movie that was, he was in a similar position to Randy mm-hmm. in this movie. Which is, oh, that's kind of neat that they did that. That is, that is pretty neat. I like that. Anyway, because Randy won, he gets an invitation from Fong. Yep. Oh, we do get the inversion of the white savior trope here where everybody's like, oh, you defeated the dragon. And like, it looks like he's going to get his ass kicked, but everybody's like cheering and like puts him on their shoulder and like carries him out. And then dumps him in a dumpster right where all the white savior narratives need to go. Yeah. Mwah, perfect. That's why I know that this movie, like, there's a stitch coming on this. Yeah, they're still loyal to the dragon. And they give him his money because he did win it. Four dollars. Blow their nose on it first. Yeah. Because he's still a white guy in Chinatown ping pong where he knows he's not supposed to be. Exactly. So he gets his invitation. And then there's a thing like... They're going to leave mysteriously, but then they come back and they're like, can you tell me how to get out of here? (laughs) Yes. Also, Aisha Taylor. Woo! Being hot at me again. (laughs) But yeah, no lines, just there because Aisha Taylor. Okay, Ping Pong Paddle has a riddle. They're now at an FBI conference room. Mm Mm-hmm. The FBI agent is appropriately dismissive and shitty. I really hate the FBI. I feel like I've seen this actor, but I don't remember who it is. I'm not going to dwell on it. But also Jim Rash is there. Yeah. I've seen this guy before. He always plays like condescending smug agent that nobody cares about. Yes. Yes. So there's a riddle. Maggie translates. And from that translation, Randy apparently figures it out. But then it turns out the answer was just on the back of the paddle in English. I love it. Fantastic. Anyway, they have to go to John Wayne Airport and catch what they think is going to be a very nice private jet owned by Mr. Fung. Now, they need to bring some equipment because of the mission. Yeah. They bring a tracker. It's it's like a pill-ish, but a pretty big pill. It's a horse suppository-sized pill. It's not looking like it's going to be fun. Now, it's funny you say suppository because Randy thinks, oh, we're going to hide it in our shoe or something else. No, they got to keister that bitch. (laughs) Yeah. And look, I get it. Anal joke. But like, nah. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So they go to the airfield. Maggie has all of a sudden warmed up to Randy. Unearned. Unearned. But the quote-unquote earning was beating the dragon. You beat a nine-year-old at ping pong. Like, 
unearned. Unearned. Now, it's very, like, tender, but also I love that this whole thing is cut, tempered, as I wrote, because we know that Randy has a tracker up his ass. And he's like, can you not hug me while I have... Million dollars worth of technology up my crack. Holy shit, that's so funny. We've skipped over a bunch of stuff with Maggie, how shit with her dad, Wong's brother, and how she hates these chauvinistic-ass men who come into yeah, ping-pong. Yeah. But, like, I'll be honest, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> it super doesn't. Like, the only thing... Because she flips so quickly and so easily, it renders the rest of the stuff irrelevant. Yeah. They take a long-ass charter bus to somewhere in, like, Central America. Is that right? Yeah. And <laughs> so they're, they're looking at the airplane, and they're like, oh, okay, this is fine. And then the guy leads them away from that to the bus. And, and Rodriguez is like, oh, man, where are we going, Tijuana? And just, like, very, very funny. But, I mean, charter buses are nice. That is, I guess it'd probably be rough if you had a poorly inserted thing up your ass that would suck when they arrive we see that the compound is filled with ping pong players and armed guards bit of an inversion of the like hidden training temple thing shaolin kind of vibe to it orientalism the movie (laughs) it's not even though like stitch it coming hang on so yeah like we get in here and my thread on this was like okay Orientalist as fuck, but this does look like a hell of a party. I need to party with the triads more often. Bong is introduced. We now see that it's Christopher Walken, and he's being Christopher Walken. Like, he's dressed like Chinese Liberace, first off. Woo! So you see it, and you're like, oh, this is just a guy who, like, wants to be Chinese, but definitely isn't Chinese, appropriating what he thinks is Chinese culture. So... Walking, he's having a good time. He's introducing all of our competitors. And this includes... Okie a choky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wild. Christopher Walken. Oh my god. Perfect choice, by the way. So, some of the players are Freddie Fingers Wilson, played by Terry Crews. Guy we love to see. Some other people... And also, they start to introduce, he goes, from the 88 Olympics, one of the best players to come out of the West, and you think it's going to be Randy. But it's Carl Wolfstag! <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, the years have not been kind to you. Neither would I. I. Not the <laughs> God, so good. He's so good. <laughs> Thomas Lennon is a treasure. Bong finally notices that Wong is here, and there's a thing, just like as a show of power pretty much, and has Mahogany, played by Aisha Tyler, kill his other right-hand guy with a blow dart gun, just because. Yep. Okay, I also want to note here that the phrase that he uses is supposed to be Chinese. My Chinese is not good enough to know if it's actually, like, a thing. Also, it's atonal, so it doesn't mean anything. It can't mean anything. Chinese is a tonal language. Anyway, the words sound like vaguely Chinese-ish. And he uses the same phrase. Like whenever he has to say anything in Chinese, it's always that phrase. It annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> I cannot explain why. Okay, so now we, have to, now we have to do this fucking thing. So this is basically, like I said, this is Bloodsport 
So what we're actually talking about here are several fight scenes, except the fight is ping pong. Yes, but fucking night before. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we got to get cool with some stuff real quick here. We don't have to be cool with it, but we have to like be fine with talking about it. Yeah. So content warning for sex slavery. So yeah, they're taken to their rooms for the evening and Mahogany offers our plucky protagonist the services of courtesans of pleasure. Randy correctly points out, he goes, oh, you mean sex slaves? And then goes, nah, well, I mean, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> like, no, what? What? You just called them slaves. Yeah. It's such a weird thing because he's clearly so fucking horny, but also knows that it's wrong. You cannot have consensual sex with a slave. He eventually acquiesces because he kind of gets pressured a little bit. Yeah. And so, like, in comes our courtesans and shocking demographic anomaly here. Bunch of dudes. Bunch of bros. <laughs> yes. And so these broy dudes are just like, all right, let's do this. Who, who's it going to be? Who's going to be? And Mahogany's like, you have to pick one. And he's like, look, just tell Fung they were all so great that I couldn't. And she's just like, fine, I'll pick one. Uh, what, what was the guy? Gary. Name? Gary. <laughs> yeah, you feeling good? Yep. Hop to it. <laughs> this is Diedrich Bader, and he does such a good fucking job. Diedrich fucking Bader. Oh, I love this man. So super chill. He's got a tank top. I think he's got a backwards snap cap type yep. thing. Yeah. Oh, he's like, yeah, man, I went down to this audition in Florida. Thought I was going to do a cruise ship show, but nope. Sex slave. <laughs> Always read the fine print. You need a brew. I need a brew. <laughs> yeah. So they don't have sex, but he's like, you want to play a board game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like they end up playing bottle. Yes. Also, Randy's like, you can go. You know what I have to say. And he's like, no way, man. If I leave, they're going to dart to the neck. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so. Or they drink beer and play boggle. <laughs> while next door, there is some banging going on. I missed that in the moment. Yeah, because Gary's like, sounds like somebody's having fun. Because then the next day, <laughs> everybody comes out. <laughs> Wong is just like, oh, these courtesans of pleasure really know how to please a man. I'm just like, mm, okay. And then Rodriguez comes out and is like, what the hell is up with these courtesans of pleasure? Master had a wonderful time last night. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, dude, get over it. Yeah. Who cares? Anyway, tournament, as we said, is extended action scenes, and they're just playing ping pong. Nothing too exciting. Yeah. Randy faces off against Freddy and wins. Freddy is then killed. And this bothers Randy because the entire reason he quit competing is because his ping pong got someone killed. So he's talking to Fong about this because Fong takes a liking to Randy, oddly enough. A liking. Liking. So he's like, you killed him. Well, duh. What part of sudden death did you not understand? Well, the literalness. That's that's the thing I didn't understand. <sighs> yeah, we're doing the sudden death gag. Lol. Okay. So Fung takes him on a tour of the compound. It's a very, I mean, it's a nice place. Apparently the guards are for show, as he says, because the real thing is that it's rigged self-destruct. 
I keep getting into my walking impression. That's fine. That's fine. Hey, Kyle. Yeah. You know how I said the theme of this movie is, but that's not Chinese, though? Yes. The statue. The Shiva statue. Well, no, it's Buddha. Oh, but is it? It's, yeah, it, it's a very stereotypically Thai Buddha. The many-armed Buddha? Yeah, so it's a many-armed Buddha. It's a thing. But, like, you can tell because the pointy crown is, like, a Thai thing. Got it. It's like 21 and 22 Jump Street with Korean Jesus and Vietnamese Jesus. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Also, we're going to get a Siamese twins gag. Lol. We call them Thai now. They call themselves Thai, but it used to be Siam. <laughs> Anywho. So, Fong's big, like, crime thing is polymer gun? Like, how would you call this? So he's an arms manufacturer, or arms dealer, I should say. Small arms. Yeah, small arms. And his new thing is polymer guns. And these polymer guns, because they're polymer, will pass straight through a metal detector. I mean, the bullets probably wouldn't, but you buy those separately. That's not what people mean when they say ghost guns, right? Those are like... No, so ghost guns are typically just like unregistered, or the serial number's been filed off, or the paperwork's been changed, or... They're just like 3D printed now. Yeah. Now, 3D printed guns suck. They're useless. Like you get maybe three shots out of them. Good for those cosplayers who want to do those, like have a bunch of guns that only have one shot in them. So fucking many of those. In Iowa, no less. Like the guy in the subway with like 12 guns on him. That was in like Cascade, Iowa. So he wants to recruit Randy to be part of the triad. And he's like, I think you got real potential he goes, really? I go, no, I just want to steal your wife from Wong. Also, like, let's not beat around the bush. He's got a little bit of a crush. Yes. Also shows him this, like, crazy ping pong table that you have to wear a vest while you play, which will send electricity through you, which sets us up for the end of the movie. This is actually a trope a little bit. The deadly sport. Trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one with, like, balls in a maze, right? That you have to... There's that one. There's also fencing. I've seen that done. Oh, yeah. And like to see a slightly different take on that. I can't remember which. It was a Brosnan era Bond film. By the way, there's also a lot of James Bond referencing in here. Oh, yeah. That makes the gay sense. Chinese white guy. I can't remember which Connery era Bond villain that was. Odd job? No. No, 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 no. Was no. Chinese? Uh, yeah, or Korean. But no, like, no, it was one of the villains. His thing was like either he was underwater or on the moon no i don't think moonraker was a no that was a dollar year i thought again getting away from things yeah it doesn't matter randy comes back to the tournament tells rodriguez what he knows and while the rest of the tournament is happening rodriguez goes to the stash house to place the tracker yep we're now at the finals by the time rodriguez comes back a lot of people have been killed yep which kind of wild that it's like i'm gonna get the best players and then kill them it's more dramatic that way Absolutely. Also, then you know that the person remaining is truly the best. Yeah. The top top. And Randy is facing Carl again in the finals. So Rodriguez is like, don't worry about it. I got you covered. Meet me in the John in two minutes. We know how this goes. <laughs> God damn it. In that two minutes, Randy decides I'm actually going to face my fears and not run away from Carl Fulshag and beat his ass in ping pong. Yeah. Well, it's because in that two minutes, he has a little conversation with Carl. And it starts off really heartfelt and like, oh, fate has chosen that we will be matched opponents in this, not us. We, 
I respect your ability to play. You're perhaps one of the greatest players I've ever known. I'm sorry your dear papa could not be here for this, because he'd probably put a bet on it. I could use the cash! And just, like, disrespects the shit out of him, and he's like, all right, I'm going to beat this clowny kraut. Yeah, so Randy goes to tell Rodriguez, hey, I'm actually going to stay, but... Rodriguez breaks his arm. The idea being they're going to say, oh, Randy can't play because he has a broken arm. Yeah, and Fung plays along for a minute, but, like, sees what's clearly happening here and freaks out and is like, nope, you're playing. That's the end of that. Also reveals that he knows Rodriguez is FBI. So, facing down Carl Wolfstag, Randy starts freaking out and goes to Wong to get some words of wisdom, but also ends up playing Def Leppard's Rock of Ages to pump himself up. Because in the Olympics, that was his walkout song. We've seen that he really likes Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. I think he's actually wearing a Def Leppard shirt at this point. Yes. Also, okay, we skipped way over all of this because honestly, it did not matter. And it was entirely unearned. But Randy's been playing with Maggie's father's paddle this whole time. Yeah, and Carl snapped in half. So now he's got his 88 Olympics paddle, which... It has a Def Leppard rules thing, like, scratched into it. So then they do, a, like, two minutes of people singing Rock of Ages before getting to the chorus. Yeah. Fang gets pissed and shoots the boombox. Boring. And says, tonight, the part of Carl Wolfschlag will be played by, and he doesn't finish the sentence, but they show Maggie bound in some way. What they do to her hair? Why did they do that to her hair? Like, putting her in, like, what is clearly a fetish Chinese dress is one thing. That's one thing. I get it. Fong's a pervert. Got it. Why did they do her hair in this, like, really big, poofed-up, 90s-era bang swoop? Who's to say? It's bothersome to me. I am too autistic for that. So, Maggie is going to sub in for Carl. Carl gets pissed, and they kill him, because fuck that noise. He has the best exit line. It's just very Thomas Lennon. Oh, yeah. Look. Oh, what's, what's going on? Oh, uh, dot in the neck? Yeah, great. Super. <laughs> Fantastic. Maggie is not willing to play against Randy, really, because that means he would die. Unearned! All of this! But we're rolling with it. Randy uses his, I'll call it ball manipulation skills, that we saw at the Vegas show, where he can kind of make it go where he wants. Yeah, so he bounces it off of, like, the hard points on Maggie's fetish dress. So, like, a belt, at one point her neck. Yep, forehead, and also she's got, like, bangles. Or, or, or not, they're not bangles. Bracers, I guess you would call them? So she's trying to lose intentionally. He's not really letting that happen. They do a volley, and Fang says, this is boring, kill them both. And in a turn of events, Aisha Tyler gets killed. Yep. Then... Rodriguez pulls out a gun and starts doing cover fire so that they can escape. Suppressing fire! <laughs> and so they all, like, make their exit because, turns out, the FBI is right outside. Maggie, Rodriguez, and Wong go together. Randy breaks off so that he can save the sex slaves. Yep. Which he does, and they're, like, very touchy about it. <laughs> if it sounds like we're rocketing through this finale, it's because we are. And also, a lot of it is, like, action sequence. Yeah. It would ruin the movie and make this a boring podcast to describe. But as Randy's escaping with the sex slaves, Fong captures them and 
in order to not get killed right then and there, Randy plays on his ego. It's like, let's see who's really Wong's best student. And to demonstrate that Wong, Rodriguez, and Maggie hadn't made it out, Wong's just like, I think we all assume that it's Randy. So they're going to do the ping pong game that shocks you. Yeah, the ping pong table of death. After the first miss, so it shocks you when you miss. And Randy ends up missing, but maybe like gets the ball such that it knocks into someone who's holding the self-destruct device and the sequence gets started. It's like, okay, fine, sure. Now it's even higher stakes, fine. And because Fung is fundamentally a dum-dum, you can't turn the table off. It'll kill them both. Gotta play through. Gotta play through. (laughs) Uh, So everyone's trying to like clear out, but the game's still happening. And Fong misses a shot, but it shocks Randy because apparently... The way he plays, you can bounce it off of anything. One bounce, it counts. One bounce still counts. So... The table's not important. Yeah. The table has just become irrelevant. They're now playing everywhere through this battle sequence. Which is super cool to watch. It kind of is. Also, there's a part where... Maggie does insane martial arts stuff, and it does not matter. It absolutely does not matter. It looks ridiculous. It also looks like it's not doing anything to the guy. Yeah. But then he just falls over, and it's like, all right, what was all that? Trope inversion, blah, blah, expectation inversion. We move on. They find a boat. Rodriguez stops someone who is going to hold them up, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was also, like, a bunch of highly wanted criminals were at this tournament. Once they got there... No one gave a fuck. Yep. None of it mattered. Truly, the guy holding a gun saying, hey, we're taking that boat. I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) He's clearly a Corleone reference. Okay. He even looks like Scorsese. But then when I watched the second time, he's on that list of like highly wanted people. And I was like, oh, I guess that's why he's there. Yeah. I mean, I caught that, but like it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. But yeah, Rodriguez saves them. They're on a bridge. Randy and Fang. It's a wooden rope bridge and... They're playing through, and as wooden rope bridges in this kind of media do, the wood is old and shitty and gives out. And something Fong said earlier was that no one survives three zip because the voltage doubles each time. Yeah. So this is actually Randy's third miss. He should be dead and just isn't. But he's also a pretty big boy, and Fat actually is a very poor conductor of electricity. So he's doing all right. Like, it's hurting him. But he's still, like, able to play. Wong and the group pass under, in their boat, under this bridge, and they go, remember, he never finished his training. Uh, He only completed half of his training. Right. Very specifically. Because during the training montage, something that we skipped over is that the second half of the training is backhand. So that implies that the first half of the training is all forehand. Yeah. So. Because then once Randy gets up and they continue their volley, Wong's like, what does that mean? I only completed half. That I have no honor? That I'm not a person? Or some shit like that. And Randy just says, it means you have no backhand. (laughs) And uses it to bounce one off to the left, which apparently badass Christopher Walken can't take one shock. Because he's old. Because he's old. He falls off the bridge into the water and then that kills him because electricity and water don't mix. That's a hard rap. (laughs) There's like... So little left of the movie. Basically, the school reopens. Randy gets the girl. Rodriguez is training for whatever reason. There's a weird thing about 
long falling down like an elevator shaft type thing because he's blind. And also the dragon came to make good, but then kicks Randy in the nuts again. <laughs> and then this is, say it with me, roll credits. credits as they sing, pour some sugar on me. The entire cast. It's pretty great. There's also a cut scene where Christopher Walken just like has enough at some point. He's like, the character's name is Fung. I've been saying Fang this whole time. It's Fung, please. I like it when movies have little cut scenes during the credits. Yeah, it's good. Anyway, what to talk about, really? The Orientalism. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) This movie is incredibly Orientalist. Very white savior, too. Like, holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. So I find, while I am 100% on board with calling this, it's a send-up of Orientalist attitudes in the West. Yeah. White savior narratives have always, like, I understand where they're coming from, but I also have never heard anybody, like, specifically elucidate where the line is drawn between, like, a white savior narrative and a white person actually legitimately immersing themselves in and becoming accepted in another culture and finding some modicum of success there. I feel like there is a line. That's where the line is drawn. I just don't know exactly where. And this feels like it's trying to explore that hinterland and doesn't quite get there. I think one thing that helps this movie is that Randy was already a really good ping pong player. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, I'm better because I'm white. It's yeah, like, like you were already good. He was good, and he has to use the help of the Chinese people to get even better. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. But also it's that thing where, like, there's an extremely competent woman. Well, again, a lot of times the trope is extremely competent woman, complete shit-tier loser guy who ends up being the hero. But here, again, Randy was already pretty good. Yeah, so... Obviously, there's a lot about this that draws on kung fu movie tropes and stereotypes. There's a lot of this that touches on martial art movies more broadly. Also sports movies. Also just sports movies. But I will also say that there were a couple of things that were fairly competent cultural signifiers. So we talked a little bit about the Thai Buddha, which is a thing like, obviously, it's a little bit critical that Fong doesn't recognize that that's not Chinese, but it's a thing that they did. But there's also, there's a Japanese ping pong player who competes and he competes in a way that is kind of stilted in a way that reads as Japanese to me. Like I've studied some martial arts in my time and like Japanese sword play compared to Chinese sword arts. Chinese is like a lot more flowy and impressive looking, whereas Japanese is very sharp and angular. And you go from position to position and somebody's head flies off in the interim is kind of the goal. And you see that in the way this guy plays ping pong. His paddle has a significantly longer handle because it's two handed. It's interesting that somebody like thought that point would click, I guess. Kyle, you just put something in the chat. I did. Before I actually watched the movie, I kind of thought... It was going to be a particular way. And that is, I thought this was going to be Rocky Four for the Bush years. When Russia was not our biggest enemy, China was. Oh, welcome back to that. Yeah, but because I knew that Christopher Walken was like a very 
Chinese, what am I trying to say? Ish. A character with Chinese accoutrement, perhaps? Uh, China Boo. Yes. I was like, okay, so he's representative, at least, of China for this movie. And our American hero is going to defeat him, obviously. And that's going to bring justice back to America? Whatever that means. Not what exactly happens in this movie, but like, kind of. Hey, Kyle. Yeah? Interestingly, the Chinese-American community is its own thing. It's very separate. It's very culturally distinct, but still has connections with Fang, which in your analogy is, is China. There's a dual loyalty thing there. Yeah. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. Listen, like I said, I kind of thought it was going to be like this before I actually watched the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's not an incorrect analysis. Honestly, also, at the very beginning, when they're doing the 88 Olympics, they use archive footage of Ronald Reagan, and Rocky IV was a fucking propaganda movie for Reagan. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Wait, that was Ivan Drago? Ivan Drago, yeah. Yeah. If he dies, he dies. I must break him. In fact, yeah, like, I must break him. I will destroy him! In the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that's an analysis, my dude. Whoa. You <laughs> did a film criticism. Woo! <laughs> this is equal to Rocky IV. <laughs> this is Rocky IV just before the housing crisis. A lot of the comedy, I think, comes from lampshading slash inverting tropes or acknowledging them. And it's big swells of music with a record scratch. Yes, there's a lot of that. Like, that's most clear in the game against the hammer at the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, I'm getting back into it, and then cut to the hammer with the trophy. Like, we don't see any of the game. It's just, fuck that. <laughs> Something we didn't bring up, and I don't think it's that important, but Randy has a whole fucking thing where he chews gum and then puts it under the table. Yeah, gross. I don't think that's anything, but it's just like a weirdly consistent thing. Yeah, I think it's going back to one's roots or like returning to a time where one is renowned talent. Okay, that makes sense. There's a thing there. We didn't really talk about how people keep bringing up the Disneyland shit. <laughs> we didn't talk about that, but like, yeah, just a random like North Korean general woman is just sitting there. He's like, when they introduce Randy, she's like, how was Disneyland? Which first off... That's not how North Koreans sound. But that wouldn't scan. <laughs> but that's what I mean. There's a lot of just like weird shit in this movie that they're trying to do comedy of like the running joke, but it's not funny. Yeah. This was definitely like of the Mel Brooks school of comedy where you just throw joke spaghetti at the wall and if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, that's all right. There's another joke coming. I don't think I have anything else. No. Nothing for discussion. I do want to say this movie includes two of my favorite things in a movie or TV show, even. One is a character who is dedicated, like obsessed with a particular band. Okay. So for here, it's Def Leppard. Do you have something about Def Leppard? No, but this is not the first time that Mr. Fogler has played this character because he also played in a movie called Fanboys. Oh! Where he's a huge fan of Rush. I was going to say, in I Love You, Man, with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, they love Rush. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, but sure. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> There's a really good episode of Chuck where he has to play 
Oh yeah, the arcade game, trying to get the kill screen. Yeah, and to get there, like he listens to Tom Sawyer. Arcade like, Fire. Tom Sawyer by Rush. I'm like 99% sure the whole thing was Arcade Fire. Yep. Also, because I rewatched this episode recently, I was curious. The villain's name is Farouk Bulsara, which is insane to me because that's Freddie Mercury's real name. <laughs> oh my god. No, okay, so I was incorrect. The Arcade Fire thing was he and the lady had to pretend to have sex. And he was like, okay, so like, I'm just going to put on Arcade Fire and we'll just sit here through that. Cool. Okay. That's what that was. Yes, I love any time a character is obsessed with a band. I think that's so much fun, especially rock bands. And then I also enjoy intelligence or law enforcement agencies that have to use a civilian for very specific things, especially when it's like, hey, you could be a spy because you're an actor. <laughs> Shout out Team America World Police and the unbearable weight of massive talent. And also Hedy Lamar in real life. Yes. So this movie was just fun. Yeah, good movie. Fun movie. I don't know why I call it good. It's a comedy. And like the measure of a good comedy is, was it fun? Was it funny? This was both. I say good movie. So do we want to get into ratings? Ratings! On a scale of 1 to 10, standard enjoyability, where are you going to put this? I'm going to say like this probably an 8. Like I don't seek it out to watch it, but if it's available, you know, sometimes it's just in the mood. I'll, I will love watching this. Yeah, I'll say 8 as well. And then on a scale of obscurity, with one being a Best Picture nominee, 10 being a literal student film, where are you putting this? I don't know that many people who know this movie, even though it was like pretty big budget. The problem is it was 20 years ago. Well, like 15, 15 years ago, something like that. It was 2007. So like the world has significantly changed irrevocably since 2007. And like this was on the other side of that and not famous enough to survive that transition. So... I don't know. I think it's probably a six and a half, seven. Dude, I'm putting this at a three. What? Big budget comedy. And here's what it is. If I say, hey, have you heard of Balls of Fury? Most people be like, maybe. And they go, hey, do you remember that movie that had a poster of Christopher Walken in a weird getup hitting an on fire ping pong ball? They'd be like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, that's fair. That's it's fair. the fucking the poster almost transcends the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of iconic, yeah. Yes. So that's why I'm putting it lower. Iconic derogatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Face Off has a pretty iconic poster. Yep, yep. I'm trying to think what else has, like, something that's so iconic you don't even have to see the movie, but you know the poster. Tremors. Jaws. Jaws, yes. Everyone knows that fucking poster. Tremors was really just aping Jaws. As we wrap up our episode, we get into our pop culture pop-out, a piece of pop culture we've been interested in lately and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, why don't you start us off? Has-been hotel. <laughs> okay, so again, I have to go ahead and like state up front that I am friends with somebody who is, they're not like the creator of Has-been hotel, but they are deeply involved. Like, I think she's the head of marketing for them, but... It's the same production company that created Hell of a Boss, which is also very fun. If you haven't seen that, it's all on YouTube. Has-Been Hotel is a similar concept. The idea is it takes place in hell, and the daughter of Lucifer and Lilith decides that she's going to try to rehabilitate demons who, in this construction, are formerly human souls who went to hell. 
as opposed to fallen angels or whatever. So she's rehabilitating demons and she gets help from a couple of different sources. Her girlfriend is one of them, as well as a demon named Alistair, who is one of the most unnerving characters I've ever seen. It's hard to explain why it's the grinning psychopath kind of thing, but nobody believes this is doable. And so the entire thing is just trying to make it work. Most recently, I saw that they got a hmm, shout out is the wrong word, but also hate views are still views from Tim Pool. So thanks, Tim. Good looking out, man. But obviously, yeah, it's making the rounds in the right wing hate sphere for all the wrong reasons. But it's a lot of fun. It's really heartfelt and available on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Kyle, what you got for us? Very recently, Lil Dicky put out music for the first time in like seven years. Okay. I forgot that was a person. Yeah. Good old Dave Bird decided to take the music from his show, Dave, which I'm sure has been a pop culture pop out of mine at some point. Or maybe I intended it to and didn't. He has three seasons of the show and he's like, yeah, I've made a bunch of music for this. Let's put it in an album and release it. And it's called Penis because his whole life is a dick joke. We love it. We love to see it. I'm having a good time with it. That's all it takes. Yeah. Awesome. Little Dickie's new album, Penis. Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, I got this whole link tree thing in the description. Big hits are, I'm still fucking around with X, Hamilcarina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I don't really use it for meaningful individual interactions. It's mostly to piss off politicians at this point. You can find me as a person on threads at Sophia H underscore MDT. That's also my Instagram. I am on Medium at Sophia Elena Maestricht. You will find their Queering House. That's my queer media analysis project. The Fifth Columnist, my rogue political opinions, not endorsed by my employer. Don't find me on Facebook. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We have both a Twitter account and a Threads account. The Twitter account is at Off the Film Path. The threads is at OTFP pod. I run the Twitter. Sophia does the threads. It's a good time. I have fun with it. If you would like, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether to leave your own pop culture pop out or talk about the movies we discuss. But in order to get in on the next one, Sophia, what are we watching? We are. Oh, my God. We're watching in time. Our podcast is almost chronicling. Justin Timberlake's acting career. <laughs> Almost. I am going to have so much fun talking about Harlan Ellison in the next episode. Anywho. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends about our delightful musings. Inscribe the name of our podcast on a golden paddle and find all the world's best podcasters and bring them to a podcast off in Central America. Yes. We won't be there. Best ad read. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.